And uh, today we're going to be starting a new series. It's a short mini-series. It's going to take two weeks, this week and next week. But it's entitled Live Out Loud. Live Out Loud. Now I want to ask you a question. How many of you know that the faith that you contain in Jesus Christ is so big, is so strong, it's so amazing that it's not meant to be contained? How many of you know that? How many of you believe that what God has done in you, that when the Bible says that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that there really is a greater one. And that greater one has an impact to do greater things, not just in your life, but in the life of others. And thus, today we're starting a short mini-series entitled Live Out Loud, because what you and I contain in Christ is not meant to be kept quiet. It's not meant to be kept quiet. Listen, we live in a world that needs Jesus. They may not know it. They might not want it. But here's the thing. They just haven't encountered someone who's walking, living, breathing, and and reflecting the life of Christ through their life. And that's you, by the way. Go ahead and tell somebody, that's me. You should say that proudly. That's me. That's you. You are a child of God. And so today I specifically want to talk to you about our first response. Our first response. In August of 2017, a massive storm named Hurricane Harvey made landfall in the state of Texas. And for four days, it pummeled the state of Texas, the southern part of the state of Texas, with over 60 inches of rain. It inflicted over $125 billion in damage while displacing over 30,000 people and claiming 108 lives. During the most intense days while this storm raged and even afterwards, it's recorded that more than 17,000 rescues were made by first responders, saving the lives of over 122,331 people and 5,234 pets. And so we've all heard the term first responders used in the midst of tragedies like this. And upon hearing it, what we most likely think of are police officers, firemen, emergency medical teams, government agencies. And while that's appropriate, um, the truth is actually opposite, according to uh, Craig Fugate, who most recently was the head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, known as FEMA. In his words, he says, when you step back and look at most disasters, you talk about first responders, lights and sirens. He says, that's not entirely true. The first responders are the neighbors, the bystanders, the people that are willing to act selflessly. He goes on to further state that the best response in an emergency begins with those that are amongst communities affected because the government simply cannot provide a response as quickly as needed and doesn't know all the answers anyway. Local people, he says, know much better what they need and they benefit from being involved with each other. And so this was the case in Texas. While local and government resources provided invaluable help, the ones that made the biggest impact immediately were the everyday ordinary people who were directly impacted by the storm, but refused to allow the storm to stop them from making an impact in the lives of those around them. Clyde Kane, who runs what's come to be known as the Cajun Navy, says that their philosophy is straightforward. Some of us are in trouble, and some of us have the tools to help them. So we're going to help them and then go out and try and save some more people. 
So in one of the worst storms recorded in the United States history, what made the difference between life and death were the people whose first response was to respond first for the sake of the lives of others. Now, in the same way as Christians, our first response, I'm going to say that again, our first response in a world dying and in need of Jesus makes a difference. The question is, what's our first response? Good question to ponder. What's my first response? What's my first response? See, our big idea for today is simply this, that our first response is a matter of life and death. Now, I'm not talking about becoming a gospel robot. I'm not talking about you going around and going, you need Jesus, let me talk to you about Jesus, and just, you know, being flaky and fruity about it. I'm talking about what do you do when the people that you share life with, the people that you have access to, the people that open up their lives to you, the people that, that conf- confide in you things that they might not even confide in their spouse and they're saying, you know, I'm going through all this and I don't know how to manage. What do you do with that neighbor who you see struggling and doesn't know Jesus and they're spinning their wheels? What do you do with that family member who, who writes off God and, and, and doesn't want anything to do with God, but they're drawn to you constantly? What do you do? What is your first response with the truth that you've received? How is that impacting the lives of others? How is Jesus being made visible? See, for many of you, I'm sure you would not hesitate to act in the midst of a storm and do whatever is necessary if confronted with the opportunity to save someone's life. But there is a far greater storm amongst us that is snatching the lives of people all around us every second of the day, and our first response is necessary. Our first response makes the difference. When we think about life and death, we think about what, we, what, what we're experiencing, the breath that we breathe. We think about the, 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 the interest that we have, the people that we love. But life is so much greater than that, and so is death. Death is more than just being in a box. Death death is more than just ceasing to live here physically. Let me take you to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 to illustrate two types of people. He says, And you he made alive when you were spiritually dead and separated from him because of your transgressions and sins. So notice what what the Holy Spirit is saying here through the Apostle Paul. He's saying, Hey, at one time you lived in a state of death. Dead. Dead. Completely dead. Well, thank God I'm not there, Pastor. Well, thank God. But watch this. It says, in which you once walked. You were following the ways of this world, influenced by this present age, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air, Satan, the spirit, who is now at work in the disobedient, the unbelieving, who fight against the purposes of God. Among these unbelievers, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by a sinful self, indulging in the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. But God. 
I said, but God. But God. That's, that's a big but there. That's a big but. It makes a difference. But I want you to see something here, ladies and gentlemen, that once we're believers, we can have a tendency of completely disassociating ourselves with that, and that's true. We're no longer dead. We're no longer there. But have you thought about the fact that there are people that are there that live and breathe and exist and share life amongst you? You ever thought about that? Now, for some people, they might say, well, he's dead. No use in trying to revive him, not according to Scripture. Look at what the Scripture says. It says, but God, being so very rich in mercy, so very rich in mercy, because of his great and wonderful love with which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sin, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ. For by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. And he raised us up together with him when we believed and seated us with him in heavenly places because we are in Christ Jesus. And so while we can rejoice in, the, in, the, in these verses and what it reveals to us that we are alive in Christ, that we have been raised from a deathly state of being, that we have been forgiven, that now what we have is the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God. We are alive and well. We also must see the converse, the, uh, conversely what this is saying, that that's the state of some of the people that we live amongst. I don't think that there's anyone here anyway that can say, you know, there, there isn't somebody that you can't think of that needs Jesus. Let me, let, me, let me bring that a little bit closer home. I can guarantee that there's no one here that doesn't know someone that you have some sort of access into their life. Some sort of relationship with. They may have come to you in the past. Maybe they, they push you off a little bit because now they see you as a, you know, a, a hallelujah, Jesus freak or whatever they want to call it, right? Maybe they see you a little bit different now because you're, 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 a crisis changed your life and your mind is being renewed and, and your circumstances are transforming. But in the midst of all that, you have some sort of relationship with them. At some point, they may even complain to you about the circumstances of life. They may share with you some of their challenges. They may share with you their insecurity. They may ask you about God. They may ask you about Jesus. They may ask you how, how, you, how you've changed your life, how that's all happened. And what I'm saying to you is that that is an open door, an opportunity yes, yes. to share this gospel. Let me take that a step further. Before, you even, before we even say a word, our lives are a message. Paul puts it this way. He says, I don't need to defend myself. I'm paraphrasing here. He says, you are my letter that asserts this gospel. That's our lives, ladies and gentlemen. I remember a time many years ago, my wife and I went on a vacation. We went on a cruise and uh, we went to, uh, uh, I think we were in Bermuda. And uh, we were so, I was so excited because we were going snorkeling. Right. And uh, so we, we get to the site. Right. They take us out in this two story boat. There's like 50, 60 of us on this boat. Didn't fight, uh, quite feel safe, but we got there. And so we jump in and we're snorkeling and, you know, I, I, I'm going underwater. My wife is going underwater. And the both of us are very good swimmers. 
And so we're in the water and we're having fun and we've got one of those little Kodak pictures. I'm dating myself. They didn't have the, those GoPros waterproof that you go in the water back in those days. But we're in the water and we're taking pictures. And then all of a sudden, the, the water starts getting very cloudy. And, and you begin to feel something happening in the water. And so I'm like, what, what is going on here? So in my mind, you know what I'm thinking, right? Shark. <laughs> so I'm like, I got a destiny. You ain't taking me out, but I'm not, I'm not dumb enough to stay in this water. So I swim up real quick. When I get up, I realize what happened. It's thundering. It's storming all of a sudden. And so I, I, I look for my wife, and a friend of mine, his daughter was one of these brave teenagers who thinks they're invincible at the age of 13 she jumps in and she doesn't know how to swim but she's got on a life jacket and so we come out I see Natalie I see my wife and and I say all right come on let's go and we, we swim in and we grab Natalie and then all of a sudden we're on the boat and we're seeing all these people that are panicking in the water they're not swimming towards the boat and so I say to one of the guys I say hey man Aren't you going to go out there and, you know, like, you guys got a plan or something? How are you getting all these people? It was way I talk about me not go out there. And I'm like, brother, you can't just leave those people there. You're crazy, me not going out there, I'm telling you. Right? And so I'm, I'm, I look at my wife. My wife and I look at each other and we do only one thing. The one thing we know. Let's jump back in. So we jump back in and we start swimming after people and we're pulling people in. We're getting tired while doing it. And we realize, you know what, there's a better way to do this. So we create a human chain. We bring one person, say, you stay there, you stay here, and everybody's attached, and we start pulling people in one by one. So we get them all in. My point in sharing that story is this. Only saved people can reach out to people in need of salvation. Let me say that again. Only saved people can reach out to those that are in need of salvation. Can I ask a, 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 a question? Anybody here saved, alive in Christ? Right? Any, anybody? Amen. Hey, did you, did you ever think of it this way? You are God's first response. You are God's first response. I guarantee you that for some of you, you're thinking about somebody right now. And maybe for some of you, maybe you're just feeling kind of like a little, a little bad or something. That's not what this is about. No, 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 no. The Word of God encourages us. It teaches us. It reveals truth to us. So if you're seeing something, here's what I want to say to you. There's an opportunity that God's been waiting for you to take. Step out. It's time to live out loud. It's time to, to cease from containing this great gospel message. It is powerful. It changed your life. What makes us think it's not good enough to change someone else's? And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it goes on to say, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. I want to pause right there for a moment. How many times does he lead you in triumph? Oh, that was weak. How many times does he lead you in triumph? Always, always right? Always. Always. I want you to consider that in light of what the scripture is saying. It says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. In every place. Verse 15. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ. Hey, get this picture. You are God's very best. And when God looks at you, the new you, and everything that he's done in you through Christ, what you resemble to him. Oh, that's my son. That's my daughter. That's Christ Jesus. 
And, but, but I want you to see this. It says, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Woo. Whoa. That's a heavy revy. Hey, if you've ever been in any sort of peril, any dire situation where you needed some saving, I know that there are quite a few people here that are in some sort of law enforcement and some, some of you are retired and all that. You can understand what I'm talking about where you've shown up on a scene and you, you were that saving grace to that person. You saved them from, 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 from dying, from losing their life, from serious injury. And the response was always, thank you. It was a relief. While in the midst of tragedy, it brought peace, it brought satisfaction. Why do I share that with you? Because that's what that word, fragrance, speaks of. Relief, peace, satisfaction. Hey, that's what you are in God's eyes. And that's what you are in God's eyes amongst a world in need. In need. You are God's relief effort in this world because you've been saved in Christ. In Christ. Some of you, you got, you look like, you, 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 like a deer caught in headlights. Hey, can I just say this with all due respect and love? Wake up. Because there's people that need to know a Savior. And the only Jesus that they will come to know an encounter is the one that you live by. The one they see in you. The impact that this gospel has had in your life. I want you to just hear this. People are dying. People are dead. And in this world, people are none the more aware of it. And yet, here we are, alive in Christ. And we Carry the solution. Oh, Pastor, I, I, I just don't know the Bible. Pa pastor, I don't know what to say. I get nervous. I get tripped up. Hmm. Well, according to the scriptures, as we'll see, all it requires is an opportunity for this to be shared. Because Jesus said that in that day, He'll give you the words with which to speak. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will remind you of the words of the Father. Give it a try. Share the gospel. Share this good news. Extend life to people that everyone else has written off as dead. In Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 through 38, we read of an encounter that Jesus had and we see the example of his first response. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the workers are few. Watch what he says. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, at a glance, it appears that this is a command for us to pray for, that, for those that will go and share the gospel somewhere else. And you know what it is? It is a command to do that. But has it ever crossed your mind, as well as mine, that just as you are praying for someone to go somewhere, someone has been praying for laborers to go to share the gospel where you are? Has that ever crossed your mind that you are an answered prayer? You know, I have, I love my family with all my heart and I've been praying for years. The beginning of this year, something changed in me and I began to pray. I began to declare the word of God And it's not that I wasn't doing that before. It was simply that there was something else happening inside me. Faith was operating in such a way, and I I began to confess the word and pray, and I began to pray this particular scripture and say, Lord, send laborers. But I'll tell you why I was praying that. Because they judge me according to my past. So they, they won't receive it from me. You know how the Bible says that Jesus could not do many miracles amongst those in his own home, right in his own hometown, that's kind of the case that I, I, I experienced with, with, my, with my family. But I began to pray, and, and you know, I just, I remember them, and, and, and I stopped trying to shove the Bible down their throat. I just simply loved them and listened to them, and, and you know, they, they didn't want to hear from me, so all I did was just exemplify it. Well, all of a sudden, my sister calls me one day, and we start having a conversation, and she's sharing with me all the challenges she's going through. And she says, you know, all of a sudden, you know, it's just like I've got these friends that go to, to law school with me and they're talking to me about Jesus and they invited me out to a group. And so I just decided to go because I had nothing better to do. And I, I, I didn't say, well, you see, that's God. You see, God's trying to get your attention. You know what I did? I said, really? That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Let me know how that goes. She decided to go. And then slowly but surely, she's attending a small group. She wants nothing to do with God, but she loves the encouragement and the support amongst those people. She loves the, just the real relationships, no strings attached to it. They weren't trying to force anything on her. They were just like, just come hang with us. And we'll come hang with you and we'll share life with you. And, and, and slowly but surely, my sister comes to a point where she accepts Christ. Everything changes in her life. It change, it, it's changed. It's changed. We're all a work in progress, but it, there's a significant change. Now she's married and, and, and she, a great man of God and all that. They've been here a few times. But then all of a sudden, my niece, one of my nieces who, not hearing nothing from Uncle David, because they refer to me according to my middle name. Yeah, Uncle David, don't talk to me about that Jesus stuff. They, uh, she starts hanging with them, and next thing you know, she's going to a small group. And then she starts going to church. Man, I should have put it up. I got a video on my phone of my niece accepting Jesus Christ. And guess what, guess, guess what she did then? She got baptized right there. Listen, there is a harvest amongst us to be reaped. 
And when I say you, I don't say this in an accusatory manner. When I say you, I'm talking to me too. You are the one called to bring that harvest in. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, pray that I'll show up. He did his job. He says, no. Ask for laborers to go and reap that harvest, bring that harvest in. So let's look at an, ex- at an example of Christ to define our first response. In John chapter 1, John, I'm sorry, John chapter 8, John 8 verses 1 through 12. It says, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Next slide, please. Now early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery and when they had set her in in, in the mist, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Verse 8. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. This woman was brought before Jesus with a death sentence hanging over her head. She was caught in the act of adultery. And according to the law, she was her, her, her penalty, rightfully so, justice called for her to be stoned to death. And these religious leaders accused her according to these religious laws. It was their standing. It was the basis upon which they were challenging Jesus and saying, let's see what you do if you break the law. But notice that Jesus' response to to these laws was silence. They present to him the laws. And his response is silence. You know, I like to think of it this way. The Bible says that the law is unto death. That it it produces only death. Why? Because it's solely based upon what we do in expectation of what God does for us. But that's not the way we relate to God now. I said that's not the way we relate to God now. According to the gospel of grace... According to what God has done in Jesus Christ, this complete work, God now relates to us one way. And what we see is Jesus' example in how God relates to us all. See, the question is, why did Jesus respond in silence? And the reason is because religion doesn't save people, but a personal encounter with Christ does. Check this out. Jesus is right here in the midst of this. And he, he would have been, according to the law, he would have been right to say, go ahead and stone her. But instead, he stood silent. And when he did speak, what he pointed out to them, well, according to the law, if you break one, you broke them all. So whoever amongst you is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. 
And so here's what ends up happening. They drop their stones and they leave. And at that point, there's only two people in the picture. Jesus and this woman. This woman is guilty of sin. She's living amongst the dead. But Jesus has a greater agenda. See, his response to this woman revealed how much he loves her, how much he loved her, and freed her unto new life by displaying to her how God relates to us all. The cause for guilt and shame was done away with. The death sentence was removed. Not a stone remained. And the opportunity for life, a life that she did not know was available, all of a sudden became apparent. Christ's first and only response set her free from her past, set her free from the present state of guilt and certain death, and set her free unto a new life to follow the light of Christ. Hmm. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, come on, some of you, you're seasoned, you know these scriptures back and forth. But let's look at it again with a fresh set of eyes. These are the words that Jesus says that Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. What does that mean? I can do it all. It's under my dominion. But then Jesus does something interesting. He says, all this authority is mine in heaven and on earth. But then he says, and you go. What is he saying? He's saying, I've done my part. I've cleared the path. I've made a way. And he says to them in verse 19, Go therefore, go in light of this truth. Go in light of my authority. You know what Jesus is saying? He's saying you and I are authorized. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them to observe all things that I have commanded. I'm sorry, uh, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's talking about salvation. And he says, and teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The next time you go and share this gospel with someone, just remember those words. I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you. I am authorized and I am authorizing you to go. And so if we are to really be first responders, let me encourage you to go and teach them what you've been taught. Go and teach them what you've been taught. I am not talking about you taking, uh, to, to do an exegete of uh, Revelations chapter 20 uh, and, and give them, no, that's not what I'm talking. I'm talking about share with them what you know about Jesus. Share with them what you know about this good news. When it comes to sharing the life-giving, I'm going to say that again, the life-giving message of Jesus, the emphasis should not be on beating people down with Scripture or about their past. It should be on uplifting people with the same powerful truths that saved us, that redeemed us, and restored us. Let me give you an example of that. God's original plan for all mankind. You look at the very beginning. God created men and women in his image and in his likeness. And he gave them authority. What a concept. 
That's God's plan. Let me give you another piece of advice. Because God loved us so much, and because he saw that we fell from that image, that we deviated from that understanding, he gave a payment on our behalf to restore us back to that very image. He made us alive through Jesus Christ. And guess what? Here's here's the kicker. Because of that, God has empowered us unto new life. That means every promise in his word is true about you. That means all that his word reveals about his plan according to his love, according to what he has now predestinated you and I to do in this world, to make a difference, to succeed, to walk in his blessing, to enjoy his healing power, all these things, to have a new identity, all these things are true. I just gave you the gospel in less than three minutes. God's original plan. God restored that plan through Jesus. God has given us new life. Gospel message. Wait. You, but, but, but what about all those years when I was addicted and I broke relationships and I did these things? God's restored you. But, 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 but what about those things that I still struggle with? God's restored you. you now, now it's time to teach you some new things. Now it's time to bring you into the fold. Let me introduce you to your new family. Let me introduce you to your new system of support. Let's pray together. Hey, keep calling these people. Keep following up with these people. Listen, go and teach them what you've been taught. Teach them the gospel. Tell them of the goodness of God because it is only the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. It is only the goodness of God that causes men to turn around and see a better way. It is only the goodness of God. Not fire and brimstone. Well, you know, I know about your past and Jesus, man. You got to get your life together, brother. No, that's not the gospel. If Jesus didn't point to her past, why should we point to theirs? Hmm. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19, uh, 19 through 22, we read, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. You know that word servant there means slave. That's what it's talking about, a slave. It says that I might win the more. So what's the objective here of this writer inspired by the Holy Spirit? What is God saying to us? Think about it. Win all the more. But how? He says, I made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. To those that are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those that are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under the law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. I want you to see something that God is showing us here. He says, hey, to the religious person, he talks about unto those that were under the law. He's talking about religious people. He says, unto those that were under the law, I related to them according to the law. To the weak, I came and I became weak amongst them. Not that he was weakened, but he met them right where they were. And many times, if we're not careful, what we try to do is we try to over-spiritualize And we try to come from this pompous state when not even Jesus did that. 
Jesus spoke plainly. It was simple. I think that one of the things that causes us to, to refrain from sharing our faith sometimes, and hey, if the shoe fits, change it. Just change it. Don't wear it. Change it. But I think one of the things that stops us many times from sharing the gospel or has the potential to stop us is that somehow we put the emphasis on what we say and what we do and what we, pre- and what we present. When all we're supposed to do is present Jesus and let Jesus speak. Let his word bring enlightenment. Let the Holy Spirit have his way and enlighten men to all truth and show them things to come. That, uh, our, our task is simply to meet people where they are. And so, which leads me to this point, go and meet them where they are. Think about it this way. When a first responder shows up to a burning building, here's what he doesn't do. Here's what she doesn't do. Hey, come on out over here. Come on out here where it's nice and safe. No, you know what the first responder does? He goes where those that are in the fire are at. Right there. He meets them there in the fire, and he picks them up in the midst of the fire, and he, and, and he saves them. So, let's not be religious, ladies and gentlemen. Instead, let's be relatable. You know why? We'll make more saves that way. We'll make more saves. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, we read again the words of Jesus, and he says, And as you go, preach. Watch this. As you go. Now, who did he tell to go? Did, I'm sorry. Did, was, were you not here when I shared that part? <laughs> who did he say to go? Yeah. Me. You. Us. So he says, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In other words, God has done his part. There's good news. You don't have to dwell according to that old way of thinking, that old lie of living. Living a lie. Living amongst the dead. I guarantee you this, just from a very practical sense, none of us sleeps with dead people. Why? Because we don't belong there. But here's what we have the ability to do according to scripture. Tell them the news of the kingdom and bring them out of a dead state to life. To life. He says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What is he talking about? Freely give what you freely got from God. Verse 9, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs. You know why? Because you don't need anything else. All you need is Jesus. Share the message of Jesus. And so go and give them what you have received. Listen, people have real needs and we have the real answer. The kingdom of God. Listen, you encounter somebody who's, who's going through some bodily affliction, pray for them. The scriptures, the one, the very one that has all authority and has authorized you and I says, lay your hands on the sick and they shall recover. Pray for those that are oppressed. Pray for those that, are, that, that, that lack, that have needs. Meet them where they are. 
we just finished the series, and one of the things that, that I loved about what Paul says unto the Thessalonians in First Thessalonians, he says, you know the manner of life in which we lived amongst you, how we shared this gospel, and we lived our lives amongst you. Man, that's where we belong, believers, in the thick of it. Give them what you've received. Pray for the sick. Share this good news. Raise up the dead. Bring them back to life. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. That, amen. Amen. In John chapter 10, verses 16 through 18, we read the words of Jesus as we close here today. Jesus says, And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring. Just think about what Jesus is saying. There's more to this fold of mine. And he says, I must bring them. But watch how. He says, they will hear my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore, my father loves me because I laid down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. I want you to consider the words of Jesus that his mission had a purpose. And it was for all mankind. And he calls mankind sheep. And he says, there are more sheep that belong to this fold. And then he makes this statement. And they will hear my voice. But who gives voice to the voice of Jesus? We do. We do. I'll tell you, I'll end with an encouraging thought here. A good reason why we should live out loud, why we should share our faith, why we should dare to be the light is because we can rest assured that success is guaranteed. It's his voice, not ours. It's his truth that is now our truth. And when you share the gospel, it's not your life that they see. It's not your words that they hear. It's a personal encounter with the power of Christ and his life that he laid down and was raised again. You want to raise some dead people? You want to see some life change? You want to see Jesus at work in the lives of people? Share the good news. Live out loud. Don't be ashamed of this gospel. Live out your faith. Don't compromise. Let God shine through you. Yes, he calls us the light, but he's the filament that shines bright through us. <sighs> Ladies and gentlemen, there's a saying that I once heard. When's the best time to plant an oak tree? And according to how I think I heard it, the answer is always now. Hey, When's the best time to live out loud? Now. 
now in a world trying times in a world where brokenness in families is more and more common even amongst the body in a world where people are seeking answers they have real questions why not right now